So, staying home can provide us with the opportunity to make a huge difference in people's lives. We can serve and be in ministry right where we are. Uh, this sermon series that we're starting today and that what this message is about is ministry um, uh, right around the corner uh, uh, from where we are. And uh, we have this uh, amazing opportunity to minister right here, right where we are. And of course, we know that's true because we recognize people do that all the time in this church. People are uh, volunteering at the Samaritan Center and Sarah's house and even the car show. Uh, We have an opportunity to make a difference in Christ's name. Uh, We can make a difference within blocks of our homes and our offices where we work and live. And we can have a longer impact on people because we can do it over a long period of time. And so uh, we're going to look at Jesus' own experience of ministering and serving right where he was. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 8. And uh, in this chapter, Jesus is going to be interrupted by a person needing healing and by a police officer needing a favor and even by one of the disciples' mother-in-law. And so that so we'll learn from him. But what's interesting also is where this set of uh, stories comes in the book of Matthew. This is Matthew chapter eight. If you're obviously most of us are familiar with his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, that is in Matthew chapter five, six, and seven, and uh, it's it's the sermon of a lifetime. It's it's a it's a, his greatest message, and. When uh, you do that kind of public speaking, it's exhausting uh, emotionally, physically, and sometimes Jesus is able to get away and, you know, it says he got in a boat or he went off to pray. Not this time. This time he is driven right into these moments of, uh, of experience. And so we're going to pick up the story in uh, the last two, sentence, uh, two verses of Matthew chapter 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and then go right into these experiences. We're reading this from the message, uh, which is a, a translation that sometimes gives us a new, a new hearing of some of the stories that we've heard many times before. So it says this, when Jesus concluded his address, the crowd burst into applause. They'd never heard teaching like this. It was apparent that he was living everything he was saying, quite a contrast to their religion teachers. This was the best teaching they had ever heard. And Jesus came down the mountain with the cheers of the crowd still ringing in his ears. Then a leper appeared and went to his knees before Jesus, praying, Master, if you want to, you can heal my body. Jesus reached out and touched him, saying, I want to. Be clean. Then and there, all signs of the leprosy were gone. Jesus said, Your cleansed and grateful life, not your words, will bear witness to what I have done. As Jesus entered the village of Capernaum, a Roman captain came up in a panic And said, Master, my servant is sick. He can't walk. He's in terrible pain. Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. Oh, no, said the captain. I don't want you to put all, uh, don't want to put you to all that trouble. Just give the order and my servant will be fine. I'm a man who takes orders and, and gives orders. I tell one soldier, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Taken aback, Jesus said, I've yet to come across this kind of simple trust in Israel. 
the very people who are supposed to know all about God and how he works. Then Jesus turned to the captain and said, Go, what you believed could happen has happened. At that moment, his servant became well. By this time, they were in front of Peter's house. On entering, Jesus found Peter's mother-in-law sick in bed, burning up with fever. He touched her hand and the fever was gone. No sooner was she up on her feet than she was fixing dinner for him. So uh, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that there are amazing opportunities right where we are to serve. We pray that you would use your living word to speak to our hearts. And uh, we pray that each of us would hear the message, the words that you want us to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, here we have Jesus walking down the hill from the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, seemingly he's headed uh, to Peter's house uh, and maybe to, take, to get a break, to take, say, take some rest there. Uh, and, but he's stopped not once, not twice, three times. He is engaged with people who want him or need him to do something significant for them. And seeing the impact, Jesus uh, has um, basically serving around every corner uh, where he is, highlights our first important point, and it's this. The most effective ministry a Christian may have is right where they live. Right where we are. A leper appeared and went to his knees before Jesus, praying, Master, if you want to, you can heal my body. Jesus reached out and touched him, saying, I want to. Be clean. Then and there, all signs of the leprosy were gone. Jesus said, Your cleansed and grateful life, not your words, will bear witness to what I have done. So Jesus meets this person um, on his way, on Jesus' way, from one place to another right where he is, without having to make plans to go anywhere else. And after healing the man, Jesus says, it's your grateful life that will be a witness to me, not your words, interestingly enough, um, and which is a great instruction for all of us. Let our grateful lives be a witness to Jesus' life and love in our lives. And we can do that right where we live. So when we serve right where we are, there's a couple things that happen for us. Uh, And the first one is we serve in our comfort zones. So we can be relaxed. We can be who we are because we're not being stretched out beyond ourselves. We're doing it right where we are. So we can be more ourselves. And we can serve out of our own interests, out of our own skill sets. So we can be comfortable doing what it is that we like to do and we're good at on behalf of others. And we can serve over a long season where we can begin to have an impact on people's lives over time. I want to tell you about a friend of mine. His name's Mike Lidekin. He was my age. We knew each other from Hollywood Presbyterian Church. We were all in the same young couples class years ago. Mike passed away uh, just a couple months ago. And uh, from a massive heart attack, he was chopping wood in his backyard. He was a very physical man. This is Mike and Nancy with their kids, Matt and Molly. Molly uh, has Down syndrome, and Nancy began a nonprofit ministry called Club 21 to help individuals with uh, Down syndrome be fully included. Mike worked in construction on one of the Hollywood back lots, so all his life he was making uh, sets for television and movies. And in his free time, he loved to hike, and there's all these stories of Mike going hiking in all the mountains and 
national and state parks all around us. So in that brief description of Mike Lidekin, there are four spheres of influence that we hear, four communities that he had a chance to have an impact on. Uh, along with his family uh, and his friends, he had four distinct communities. Number one, he had an impact on his church and uh, on Nancy's nonprofit because that was a ministry that he supported. And on his co-workers there in the Hollywood industry on the back lots and in his hiking community, he met lots and lots of people that he had influence on. And he experienced those three benefits that we talked about. He was, he was coming right out of his comfort zone when no matter where he was, he was comfortable and, and gave of himself in transparent and authentic ways. And he used his construction skills. So, I mean, he was so comfortable with tools. And uh, he would help people in ways they couldn't help themselves. They would, that he would do stuff that they couldn't have done uh, because he was skilled at it. And he served over time for years. He didn't rush in and rush out. He stayed and lingered with people over and over and over again. So Mike wasn't famous. He didn't have a personal brand on Instagram. He hadn't written any books. Uh, he didn't have any Twitter friends. But he just had people whose lives he had impacted. And we all have those same four spheres of influence. Our church and people we connect with here our work, our hobbies and uh, interests, and the ministries that we serve in. So I have a fairly odd question for you, uh, uh, something I want you to think about that I will admit is a little odd. I want you to think about your funeral. Okay, by the way, don't worry, you lived a very happy life. And uh, you, you made a lot of money, and you were able to leave it to your kids and to <clears throat> Stonebridge. So, um, <laughs> but you're dead. And, uh, you know, we're planning your service. And so we, uh, those of us who are planning it, we need to know, can we, can we hold it in this room, or are we going to have to get someplace bigger? How many are we going to have at the reception? So... Uh, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about those four areas. Who's going to come? How many people are you going to have to come from your church and from your work, from your hobbies and interests, and from the ministries that you serve in? How many people are going to show up for your memorial? We got a rough number? How many would say, uh, well, I'm pretty safe at 25. I, I'm, I'm going to at least get 25 people. Oh, good. I see 25. I see 20. Do I see 50? Do I see 50? 50, 50. Go, there you go. See? Good, you know, good self-confidence. I like that. Anybody have 100 people going to show up at your memorial? 500 people? Mike Lidekin had almost 1,500 people at his service. And we were all sad and crying at the loss of this dear friend who had made such an impact on our lives. Every person could tell a story or multiple stories of how Mike had done things for them, alongside them. He was a devout Christian, a deep thinker. Uh, he had a strong faith, but he didn't speak loudly about it. He did what Jesus told that leper to do, to let his grateful life be a witness, uh, not his words, though he used those on occasion as well. 
when we talk about going overseas on a short-term mission, we say it, it's, it's the chance of a lifetime. Mike had one lifetime of ministry right in his own backyard and had such an impact on so many people. So we learn from Jesus' encounter with the leper that um, the most effective ministry a Christian may have is right where they live. And we learn a second lesson from this Roman soldier who's going to come up and interrupt Jesus. We learn from him that interruptions may be God's introduction. Interruptions may be God's introductions. It says, as Jesus entered the village of Capernaum, a Roman captain came up in a panic and said, Master, my servant is sick. He can't walk. He's in terrible pain. Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. So here's this interesting interruption. Moving on from the leper, Jesus keeps going only to be interrupted by a Roman soldier. Now, soldiers uh, in the day were peacekeepers. They were, in some sense, like police officers are today. And we are incredibly grateful for the ministry, the service, the sacrifice of our police officers at a distance. Because, you know, it's almost never a good thing to be interrupted by a police officer, right? Whether it's the red lights in our rearview mirror or somebody knocking at our door, it's probably not good for us if a policeman interrupts us, right? And um, Jesus not only accepts the interruption with grace, he offers to go with the soldier. Uh, I'll come with you to your house, which is totally countercultural for him. It, 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 was, it was unheard of. Uh, and by engaging the soldier, Jesus meets a man with so much faith that Jesus is actually surprised. This interruption becomes an introduction. It, the text says, taken aback, Jesus said, I've yet to come across this kind of simple trust in all of Israel. The soldier's faith, faith stopped Jesus in his tracks, which didn't happen very often. So by responding to the stranger's interruption, Jesus is introduced to a Roman with deep faith that just blessed Jesus' heart and he would not have experienced had he not allowed for that interruption and uh, that he didn't see it as something negative. You know, it's so easy for us to see interruptions as something negative, something unpleasant in our life. But one person said this, stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of our own or real life. The truth is that the interruptions are precisely one's real life. They are part, they are, they are our life. Um, and it just may be that that interruption is God's introduction, which is what happened to me um, while I was sitting on the beach. I was sitting on a bench at the beach reading a book. I was waiting for an appointment, minding my own business, uh, and the book I was reading was this one. You were born for this, a key, seven keys to a life of predictable miracles. Now that's a pretty good title, isn't it? And uh, our session was reading it together, all the elders. And so at the last session meeting, uh, somebody had put labels on the back of each of the book with our names on them and we handed them out to us. My label was still on it, Pastor Neil Nibo, on the back of the book. And here I am reading this book uh, on a bench at the beach waiting for an appointment. And uh, as I'm sitting there reading, two young men approach me. They're in their early 20s. 
And one of them has his hand in a cast and a sling and uh, bruises on his face, bandages. And the other one was clearly just a friend who had come to be supportive of him, like he had just picked him up uh, at the ER and, you know, had gotten him down to the beach to kind of get some sun and, and some light. And uh, the one with the cast walked up to me, interrupted me, and, and said, I wonder if you think there's a God. Seriously, that is not a common introduction for me. I don't know about you, but actually never, never have I before or after had somebody walk up, a total stranger, and say, I wonder if you think there's a God. I mean, it was to the point where I was like, am I being set up? Is there a camera somewhere? Is this a trick? Um, But we began a conversation, and he was genuinely struggling and searching. Uh, He had been beaten up by his boyfriend, and he had lost everything. He felt like everyone had deserted him, including God. And uh, he walks up to me out of the blue, a pastor in a denomination that at the time had rather stringent uh, doctrines and opinions about homosexuality. And uh, he had no reason to approach me. Uh, But the book I was reading was about how to have miracles from God on a daily basis. Hello, McFly. I'm like, uh, okay, I guess that's what's going on here. It's obvious to me that God has brought us together, uh, not to be in an interruption, but to be an introduction. I am praying furiously inside, going, Lord, please tell me the words to say. What do you want me to say to this young man um, who is clearly hurting? And uh, as we talked, he just hung his head and He just said, I just need to know that there is hope. And I said, there is. There is hope for you. And I can tell you why there is. Because God put me on this bench reading this book so that when you came by, I could give it to you. This book is about how to have miracles in your life. Do you think that's what you might need? And he took the book and he said, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I need. And he turned it over and he read my name, Pastor Neil Nibo. And he looked at me and he said, you're a pastor? And I said, yes, I am. Would you like me to pray for you? And I stood up and I put my hand on his shoulder and I prayed for him and I could feel his shoulders shaking. When I said amen, we said it together. And uh, we hugged, and that young man found hope that day. You can't make this stuff up. I mean, seriously, it's like I couldn't have written that. Interruptions just may very well be God's introductions. I met a young man that I would never have met any other way because I allowed for that uh, interruption in my life, which leads to Jesus' third encounter Uh, And our third lesson about serving where we are, and it's this. Don't wait for a better time to serve. Don't wait for a better time to serve. So we finally get to Peter's house. The verse says, by this time they were in front of Peter's house. On entering, Jesus found Peter's mother-in-law sick in bed, burning up with fever. He touched her hand and the fever was gone. No sooner was she on her feet than she was fixing dinner for him. 
So finally, Jesus gets away from the crowds. He gets into Peter's house. I think he just wants to take a break, sit down, relax. And he finds Peter's mother-in-law with a fever in her bed. Okay, now, let's just recognize that he didn't have to walk down the hall or upstairs and knock on her door, open it and say, excuse me, oh, you have a fever. This was probably one room. And it would have been hard not to notice a woman laying on a mat in the corner, probably moaning, right? But interestingly enough, no one said to him, hey, could you take a look at our mom? Peter didn't say, could you, could you heal my mother? But, but Jesus went over to her, invaded her space uh, so that he could take her hand and heal her. Um, in our lives... It's easy to imagine that there's a better time to serve. See, we might have thought, if I was Peter, I might have thought, well, you know, there's going to be this healing service uh, tonight, and people are going to bring people to Jesus, and he's going to heal all of them. You know what, I'm just going to bring my mom to that. You know, that'll be a better time for Jesus to take care of her and serve her needs. But Jesus was like, there's no better time than now. And so in our lives, we can think there, there, there's probably a better time for us to serve. Maybe, maybe uh, when we get out of school, or maybe when our kids grow up, or maybe when our jobs settle down, or maybe when we retire. There's always a better time somewhere in the future. But serving doesn't have to take hours and hours every week. Now, do me a favor. Don't tell some of our volunteers that because they are volunteering all the time. Oh, my gosh. Uh, But, you know, for us, you know, it it doesn't have to take hours and hours and hours every week. It doesn't have to um, mean that we quit our jobs and maybe go to seminary or get ordained or something else. Um, It can just be a little bit of time, being sensitive in a moment, in a conversation, in a in a in a meeting, Uh, and I learned that lesson when I almost missed the opportunity to serve um, because I wasn't paying attention. And coincidentally, it does involve another book uh, and a book like this one. This is not exactly the same book. Uh, And I'll tell you about that in a minute. But first, I want to give you next steps for you to practice. Hopefully, you're at a point where you're saying, you know what, I could probably find a place to serve. I I wonder what God is asking me to do. And if that's your case, then I have two things for you to do this week. There are two in the bulletin and the notes section. These are basically the same ones, but I've rewritten them a little bit. If you want to write them down or just remember them. First, each morning this week... Ask God to show you where in your community you can serve. Each day this week, as you start your day, just say, God, would you show me where in the community I can serve? Can I tell you? If you pray that prayer for seven days, um, God will show you someplace. You might not have called him yet. You might not have looked him up. You might not have stopped by. But something's going to come to your mind as a place that you might be able to serve. And secondly, be sensitive to opportunities. Just each day, be sensitive to opportunities around you. That's what that book uh, about miracles teaches you to do, to be sensitive. So I share these with you because I wasn't doing them. And uh, I almost missed a powerful opportunity to serve. So I brought a book to a prayer meeting. It was a book that I'd read, and it was, it was big like this. And uh, it had had a big impact on me. Uh, and I wanted to share it with my prayer group. 
So I brought a copy uh, with, uh, with me. And a person in the prayer group told us about a terrible situation at her work. Good people were getting angry and hurt, and it was expanding, and it was drawing more people in. And pretty soon, it looked like it was going to explode out into the community, and many people were going to get engaged and involved in this awful situation. And she came to ask us to pray that God would reveal something new that could help diffuse the situation. Isn't that an interesting prayer? Pray that God would bring something new that would help diffuse the situation. So as we were praying, a thought came into my mind. And the words were this, share chapter 2 of the book with her. Okay, that's an interesting word that comes to your head. It's, it's rather specific, but I didn't know exactly what it meant. So when we finished uh, praying, uh, we went around and said some things, and I told about that I'd, that I'd heard God tell me that I should share this book with you all, and particularly with this one person. And I said, in fact, there's a particular chapter in it that it would be relevant to your situation. And so then we talked for a moment about, well, maybe she could order it from Amazon, or after the prayer meeting, we could go to the office and I could make a copy for her. In fact, I could let her borrow the book. And uh, none of that really kind of, you know, you know how you're talking and it's like nothing really caught on. And then we moved on to something else and the conversation moved away from us. Um, But I'd kind of done what I felt like, you know, God had asked me to do. Um, And so then uh, we closed in prayer. And as somebody closed in prayer, I heard more words. And the words said, I didn't tell you to tell her about the book. I told you to give her chapter 2. Wow, that's okay. I didn't know what that meant, but I knew it meant something. I better do something. So when uh, we finished the prayer and people started to get their stuff and were about to get up, I said, wait, 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 just a minute. Uh, I heard something else, and I told them what I I heard, and and I, I said, I believe that God wants you to have chapter 2, and I ripped it out of the book and handed her chapter 2. Okay, I just went past my comfort zone. Tearing stuff out of a book is not something I ever am very comfortable doing. But um, I, I did that, and she, everybody went, oh, and, and she took it like it was, you know, the plates from God or something. And she, she, she went back to her office and she made copies of it and gave it to her friends, the people that she was connected to, along with the story of the pastor whom God had told to give this to her as an answer to the prayer, something new that will help calm the situation. And when they heard that, they all said, oh, i got to read this. And they all read it that day. And then they passed it on to other people. And they read it. And the explosion never came. There was connection and healing and, and uh, some reconciliation. And the two sides came together. Is it because of that chapter in that book or because I tore it out and handed it to her? We'll never know. Uh, I, I'm not convinced of that. Um, but I do know this, that like with Peter's mother uh, and Jesus going up to her and touching her, um, there is never a better time to serve than now. And like Jesus with the Roman soldier, uh, that experience with 
giving that chapter away became a powerful introduction to me uh, to people I hadn't met before. But because of that experience, I began to meet people. Uh, and uh, like the leper, uh, I, I just did it right where I was because I was comfortable in that group. It was within my comfort zone to share like that. And one of my skills is sharing what God has given me. And so it was easy for me to do that. And because I'd been there a long time, uh, I, could, I could be trusted to not be some wacky person. Um, so let me just encourage you to, to take seriously those two next steps. Ask God to show you where in your community you can serve. And secondly, to be sensitive to opportunities. And if we do that, heck, we may just discover that there's an opportunity for us around every corner. Let's pray.